0: The cave that we're going to talk about today, it's a cave that uh, every single human being that's ever lived, ever will live, will experience in one way or another. And most of us have already in this room experienced it to some degree, the the cave of lamentation. I'll share with you my my first experience with it. Uh, My first six years of my life, I was brought up by my great-grandfather and great-grandmother. That's all I knew. Um, One day, they came to me and explained to me, or tried to explain to me the best you can to a kid that's five, getting ready to turn six, that I was going to have to be sent away to live with the lady that lived upstairs in our apartment building, lived at 3rd and F Northwest in Washington, D.C. I didn't know who this woman was. I would take things to her from time to time. Turned out she was my mother. That was my first experience with grief, but it doubled within a year. My great-grandfather who was the only man in my entire life that I ever called Daddy. And, and it's, it's taken me well most of my lifetime before I could even talk about him at all uh, without just erupting into tears. But uh, within a year, he suddenly died. He, he was a taxi cab driver. Every memory I have of him is nothing but wonderful, the kindest personage that I remember uh, in my life. My life got very turbulent from that point on but losing somebody even as a little child it just it threw me into a state that I didn't even understand Uh, went to his funeral and when I went to his funeral I insisted that I could uh, go forward to his casket and touch his hand I, I just just didn't want to let him go you know so each of us in here have probably experienced this particular cave that i'm going to talk about today now i'm going to introduce it with a lot of scripture you're going to have to be patient with me because i'm going to try to take you on a movement because it's making an important point uh, that that changes this phenomenon of grief that just seems to erupt inside of us and leave us feeling hollow and broken and out of control Uh, if you'll follow with me i i think it'll be worth the effort so let me start with a few passages of scripture Genesis 23, it says, Sarah lived to be 127 years old. Sarah is Abraham's wife. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Let's pause there for a minute. When we experience the loss of someone significant in our life, it's appropriate that we mourn it's appropriate that we weep Th- these are capacities that god gave us to handle the trauma of these kinds of situations let me go on now we're going to go forward about 170 years now we're looking at a man named jacob abraham isaac jacob it was the great grandfather or abraham was the great grandfather of jacob i'm about to be gathered to my people Is jacob speaking bury me with my fathers in the field of the of Ephron the Hittite the cave in the field of Machpelah that's where Sarah was buried Abraham bought that field near Mamre in Canaan there Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried there Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried and there I buried Leah so Abraham Isaac his son and now Jacob all buried in this cave called Machpelah that's in Mamre let me go on now we're going on about 198 years from that last point now we're dealing with a different character Moses Moses in the burning bush episode then he the he meaning God then he said I am the God of your father the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God now again God identifies himself to Moses as the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob all of them buried dead and gone buried in the cave of Machpelah the cave of lamentation one last passage now we're going 1500 years forward from this point the new testament Jesus engaged in an argument with the Sadducees the Sadducees of Jesus they were a religious body that had a lot of political influence but they didn't believe in anything supernatural they thought that when you were dead you were dead the only thing you leave behind is your reputation and your influence Jesus is engaging them in an argument they're trying to you know argue with him now about the dead rising this is Jesus talking to the Sadducees now about the dead rising because they didn't believe in the resurrection Have you not read in the book of Moses in the account of the burning bush, we just read that, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the, you say it to me, the living. Now this changes everything. This this cave of Machpelah, this cave of lamentation, where lives are ended and where hearts are broken because they're ended, where separation occurs, here is Jesus stating succinctly, no, those lives didn't end. Those lives are still going on. Those separations are not permanent. And so even though there's a time for weeping there will be a time of reunion and that reunion will last forever this is the unique hope that we have as those that are followers of Christ those that believe that Jesus not only lived a perfect sinless life not only said things that no one has ever said did things that no one has ever did but that he sacrificed his life on a cross to die for us But ultimately he rose again from the grave proving that all of his promises about eternal life to those that are his followers that they're valid they're trustworthy they're true that life does endure human beings throughout all the seasons that this planet has ever recorded all the historical records have always had a sense always had a belief sometimes foggy sometimes distorted that death does not end the journey so we're showing how in scripture all these points come together now the cave of lamentation first of all the word lamentation how many would agree you don't hear that word every day right we don't go around saying lamentation very much we do have a book in the Bible called lamentation it's right after Jeremiah Jeremiah is looking at the damage that the Babylonians had done in destroying Jerusalem and he's weeping and mourning over it hence we get the book of lamentation but let me give you a definition for it it's the passionate expression of grief or sorrow. That's all it means. It's just a passionate, full body, full mind, full emotional expression of grief at some kind of a loss. And by the way, C.S. Lewis quote, Love anything and you will certainly get your heart broken. You, you can lose a pet. How many have ever lost a pet in here? I have, I have one pet of German Shepherd I Lost. I still can't talk about her name to this day without breaking into tears. Love anything. And we are certainly going to get our hearts broken in this world. Because this world is not normal. This world is not functioning the way that God intended it. This world has been invaded by something that God calls sin. The the Greek word for sin in the New Testament is hamartia. It means missing the mark. It means we're not living the way we were designed to live. And because we're not living the way we're designed to live, death has infiltrated us physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, sociologically. It penetrates, it infiltrates everything on our planet. And we live in a world that is just not at all the way God intended it. So why do we lament? Let's look at that. I mean, why why do we do this? I mean, why is it that we can be, you know, going along in our life, uh, maybe having just a normal day, we're in a normal emotional state, but if the right set of news comes to us that some relative or some friend or some work associate or a pet, that 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 individual or that pet suddenly has died all of a sudden our emotional state it it goes from zero to a hundred we're completely out of control for the most part something volcanic almost erupts in us we can't explain it we can't control it but we feel it and we can't usually hide the feelings that we have at those times we burst out in tears we may cry we may we may even howl at times we may throw ourselves on the floor I'm sure some of you know what it is to lay on the floor with such grief you're crying so hard face down on the floor that you literally think your insides are going to come out why do we do this just because someone has left our life left this world don't we know that all through human history individuals live and human individuals die we know it's a part of life animals live animals die so so why why do we react this way why why do we almost explode volcanically with emotion at death well I, I think one of the the main reasons is is that we sense inside this is not the way it's supposed to be This is wrong. This was not the way life was supposed to go. Those that we love, those that we we entwine, we interwine our lives with, be it humans or even pets, they should never be taken away. Lives shouldn't be cut short. And the oldest lives are still too short. We sense it. Life was meant to go on. We hate it. But we feel powerless before it. Because it repeats its cycle again and again, there there are people that want us to just you know calmly rationalize it that you live, you die, and that's the cycle of life. But but that instinct, that sense, that spiritual aliveness that's in us, it just erupts and says, "No, no, th- this isn't the way life was supposed to be. Th- this is an enemy. This thing called death." I'm going to share a number of scriptures with you now that kind of reinforce some of the thoughts I've just shared. In the Book of Ecclesiastes, chapter seven, it says. It is better to go to the house of where? Mourning. And this is an odd statement. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. In other words, it's better to go to a place where people are mourning than to a place where people are partying and making light. Why would that be? I mean, that just sounds stupid. Read the rest. For death is the destiny of everyone. And the living should what? Take this to heart. Now, some of you might be surprised by this, but it doesn't really matter what age you are. You can die at any time. How many, how many knew that before I said it? I don't care how young you are. I don't care how invulnerable you feel. I remember what it was like to feel invulnerable. You can die at any given time. That's the grim reality about life. And Solomon, he tells us that it's good for us to ponder these things because it gives us some operative principles to live by. If, if I don't face death early on in my life, I'm not going to be equipped to make wise decisions as life goes on. I'm not going to be able to appreciate the time that I have. I'm not going to appreciate the entrustment that God has given me. And if I'm not looking at the other end, I'm not going to conduct myself in light of that sure certain end if we look at it if we face it it puts us into a serious frame of mind and we start to ponder the meaning of life who am i where did i come from why am i here how am i supposed to be living what's wrong with me what's wrong with the world what's wrong with human history where can we find a solution when you ponder death your mind goes in deep places that god intends our minds to go and that's what solomon is saying here that that even in the house of feasting it's a fun and light, light and breezy place it won't cause us to think in ways that will enable us to conduct our lives wisely is what he's getting at let me share another one from ecclesiastes ecclesiastes 9:12 says moreover no one knows when their hour will come now every single one of us in this room we're planning <laughs> we're planning on being here tomorrow is there anybody not planning on being here tomorrow we're, we're all planning i'm planning you're planning we're all planning on being here tomorrow but I don't know if I'm going to be here. Does anybody in this room know they're going to be here tomorrow? Can I see your hand if you know you're going to be here? I want to know what you know because you know more than I know if you know that you're going to be here tomorrow. Now, of course, we can't live that way. We, we drive ourselves insane. But the reality, the reality should sink in deep and it should cause us to, to modify the way we think, the way we live because it is a reality life is a is a great gift from God we sing that song about it, it's your breath meaning God's breath in our lungs and so we pour out our praise it is a gift every breath we breathe every heartbeat every brain wave it, it's a gift each day from God Hebrew says this it says people are destined to die once but after that to face and what is the word judgment The cave of lamentation, it should cause us to be wise, to recognize this life is a sacred trust. It's given to us by God, and we are going to be held accountable for how we have handled this treasure. I am going to have to account for every minute that God's entrusted to me. I'm going to have to account for every capacity, every ability, every opportunity that God has given me. I'm going to have to account for every spiritual gift that God has given to me and so are you so are you and so it makes us wise to recognize my life starts and my life will stop I don't know when it's going to stop I just know that it is going to stop and I also know that there's coming a time where I will everyone will the biggest person the most powerful person the most wealthy person the brightest person the most successful and the most easily forgotten we're all going to stand before Christ for judgment now that shouldn't strike fear in your heart and if it does strike fear in your heart I want to suggest that that perhaps you need to consider more seriously your relationship with Christ. If you've put your trust in Christ and you are his follower, the notion that you will stand before him for judgment should not strike fear in your heart. It should stir you, it should motivate you to live your life wisely and to know, man, my life counts. Every second of my life counts. Every loving deed that I do, though even the ones that I have long ago forgotten, they count every time I've tried to share Christ with somebody it counts every contribution that I have made for the kingdom of God it counts judgment ought to be a more or less pleasant thought judgment also means the wicked the evil the schemers the ones that have destroyed so many lives in this world their day is coming they're going to face justice and that's a good thing that's not a bad thing people are destined once to die but after this to face judgment the the cave of lamentation reminds us that i will stand we will stand accountable to god not for somebody else We're, let me tell you when we stand before christ in judgment there's not going to be any blaming there's not going to be any finger pointing uh, if only he she they would have i would have forget all that It says that the secrets of our hearts will be laid bare and we will stand to give account for our lives, not somebody else's. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing, particularly if we're followers of Christ. Let me go on. Matthew 5, 4 says this. It says, blessed are those who what? Mourn for they will be comforted. Now, now why would it be blessed to mourn and, and this, this is the, from the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Mount they keep trying uh, to translate that word blessed in different ways some silly translations in the New Testament translate the word blessed happy uh, the, the Greek word makarios it doesn't mean happy it, it, Jesus is saying you are in a good place the blessing of God is on you if you're one that mourns you say well why, why would that be? I mean, why would that be? Because Jesus is indicating when we are mourning, we are rejecting the abnormality of life as it is today. We are saying this is not right. This is not the way the world was meant to be. It wasn't meant to be filled with conflict and cruelty and wars and hatred and prejudice and sickness and accidents and death And so we're mourning that things are not the way they should be. And those that are mourning for that, Jesus says that they'll be comforted. Mourning to mourn is is a good thing. It shows that my soul is still at least a little bit intact. I haven't altogether lost my soul. It hasn't been swept away by the current of pleasure madness in the society that we live in. I still am at least partially human and partially alive if I can still mourn. Mourning is it's a good sign that my soul is at least still alive and if it's alive it's still available to god to reconstruct it in his own image psalm thirty-four eighteen adds this it says the lord is close to who the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit now i want to i want to just expand on this a little bit the lord is close to everyone okay we don't know these clothes most of the time we don't even think about his presence but just as you don't think about oxygen and it's present around you and it's present in you so is God because he is omnipresent God is always with us he knows every thought that we think he knows every feeling that we have he knows every tear that we shed he knows every dream that we've ever had he knows every disappointment he knows our pain he knows our confusion he is the only one that always knows what it feels like to be us on the inside we try to explain to other people what we feel like or what it feels like to be us but only God is on the inside with every human being and he knows but this is particularly aimed at the brokenhearted because when you're brokenhearted you feel you feel alone you feel like no one can understand what it feels like to be you when you're brokenhearted you feel like you're you're maybe completely different from anybody else you might even feel like when you're brokenhearted that God himself has has turned his back on you and this verse is just reemphasizing, no, no, quite far from God being away from you. He is close, he's always close, but he's available to, to us when our hearts are broken more than at any other time. When our hearts are broken, finally we start to get authentic. We start to get real. We start to acknowledge, I'm fragile, I'm needy, I'm easily hurt. I am love-starved as a human being. And when my heart is broken, I'm in a condition now where God can, he can can actually get my attention and then he can start to bring the healing that my heart needs and that that only he can give frankly so the cave of lamentation it's a good place it's not a bad place it's a good place it's where we start to become fully human and fully alive it's the place where we're more likely to reach out to God and he's always been there and he's always been waiting and he's always been eager to rush into our lives But sometimes we just get ourselves so busy, so successful maybe, so happy, 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 that we just forget that he's there and who we are and what his intention really is for these human lives of ours. So I want to close out this portion of the message with something that most of you are familiar with, but it it would be worthwhile because uh, there's no doubt in my mind that in this room today, some of us are are in that cave right now that that cave of mourning so let me share these um no no no, you you skipped over slide oh I'm I'm sorry go back go back go back I'm looking at the wrong screen (laughs) five stages of grief most of us are familiar with these in fact some uh even add seven now but let's just deal with the five if you are at the cave of lamentation you're going through grief right now you're going through loss you're probably familiar with these, but if you're not, it's, it's something that helps you to orient yourself a little bit. The first stage tends to be denial. And like I was saying before, isolation, you feel like you're alone, nobody knows what you're going through. But denial, it's like this can't be happening. I, I, just, I don't believe this has occurred. I don't believe this person that meant so much to me that I counted on their presence so highly in my life. I can't believe and I won't believe that they're not going to be there when someone is going through a prolonged illness this this usually is the difficult part we we keep wanting we keep hoping and then sometimes we get angry because when you're broken hearted you feel weak you feel powerless and often when we feel weak and powerless we as human beings bolt over to the next emotion and the next emotion is usually anger when we're angry we feel in control we feel we have power we feel we can grab a hold of our conditions And do something about them, but we really can't. But these are typical denial, then anger, and then this one, bargaining, particularly if the person is in a long sickness. We start saying, God, I'll I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere, I'll I'll be a missionary, you know, I'll do whatever. If you'll just allow this person to live, or if they can just live till Christmas time or their next birthday or whatever it might be. We we go through bargaining. And then typically depression. Now this is the stage you got to be careful in. It's, it's valid to be depressed when you lose a loved one but you have to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to sink into um, complete depression where we start losing control of our life where we can no longer function we're, we're not keeping our routines we're not taking care of ourselves we don't care about anything we feel numb inside and we're not um, maintaining some kind of functionality we have to be very careful if we get to this stage we, we need to get some help if we get stuck there And then usually, we finally come to acceptance. Now, I want to disagree with that acceptance a little bit. Acceptance meaning the person is gone. And we know for this lifetime, we're not going to have them with us again. We're not going to see them again. But I don't mean acceptance like you ever stop feeling the hurt. I don't even think we're supposed to. And I don't mean acceptance like, okay that's the cycle of life that's just the way it goes you you're born you live and you die no that's not what we're to accept that's not normality that's not the world that God created and deep inside us we know better we know that this is not the way it's supposed to work I don't care how long a person lives it's too short it was not enough they were never supposed to be torn away from us torn away from this earth they were never to have some disease some accident some crime some war steal their life away that that was never the plan of God never the intention of God he's allowing evil for a little while I've said this on many occasions so that he can abolish it forever so he's tolerating this but this is not something we should accept we shouldn't accept death you're going to see that in a little bit when we get into some other verses so okay we've looked at what lamentation is and why we lament the second thing we do and we see this in Abraham's life when he takes this, buys this expensive cave from the Hittites and he buries his wife there and then his son Isaac is buried there and then Isaac's son Jacob is buried there we venerate we venerate people that we lose rightly so but why 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 do we venerate people that suddenly leave this earth and and for that matter what what does veneration mean because it's not a word that we use every day so let's, let's just look at that for a minute veneration it simply means showing great respect and reverence for that person's life and it's totally appropriate it is appropriate To show reverence for every single human life. God is the creator of every single human life. And it's, it's a holy and it's a sacred thing, every life. It's a holy and a sacred thing from the second of conception until the last breath. It belongs to God before it ever belongs to us. It's his creation before it's ever something we participate in. And so it's right to venerate when a life on this planet at least for its season ends. Now, throughout history, there's been elaborate um, you know, ways that, that people's lives have been venerated at death. In fact, if you happen to be, you know, like a real close companion of like a king or maybe a pharaoh in particular, when the pharaoh died, it might not be so good for you because you might be given the honor to be buried alive with the Pharaoh. So Veneration. Hey, let me just show you a couple unusual things that are still happening around our planet right today, the way we venerate people that pass on. The people of Sagata in the Philippines. I don't know if you can see what this is real clearly. These are coffins hanging atop a mountain. Uh, they have a belief that the closer to heaven you can get, you know, the better your transition will be. And so they hang these coffins, you know, off the side of a mountain. Here's another one. This is from South Korea. And you'll never guess what those are those attractive looking little beads that people in South Korea put in jars and keep glass jars and keep in their houses that's the remains of human beings that are cremated they don't have enough room to bury people so they cremate over there and they have found a way to take the remains of the cremated person and turn them into these little glass decorative beads that you then keep inside your house to venerate the person then there's one more this one is a, a little bit interesting <laughs> skull burial the republic of uh, Kir- Kiribati in the central Pacific now the Kiribati when you die to venerate you they, they let your body lay in the ground for a month maybe two months but then they dig you back up they exhume the body and they, they take the skull from the body and they clean it up and they polish it and they take it and they put it in a prominent place in the house and uh, yeah and it stays in the house the veneration goes on throughout the life in fact they even offer uh, gifts uh, I know it sounds crazy tobacco to the skulls and sometimes little you know flower things these, these are offerings to show uh, appreciation and veneration and honor to the person that's passed on but when Abraham first bought that cave from the Hittites for his wife Sarah he wanted to venerate her he wanted to honor her he wanted to show his reverence for her the same was true when when they gave the same burial place to Isaac and then to Jacob Uh, when we we do this we're trying to to say in so many words this person's life mattered we're kind of screaming we hate it that this person's life is over but we want everyone to know this person counted they mattered their life mattered Every day that they walked this planet, it mattered. Maybe a lot of people didn't know about them, but somebody did, God did, you did, and they matter. And so we want to reverence them, we want to honor them, we want to remember them, and we do it in all sorts of ways, most of which are, you know, cultural to be sure. But it's an appropriate thing to give honor to those that pass on. It's an appropriate thing to remember them. Now, I know there are stages in this grief journey that it's extremely hard um, and it's so like I said at the beginning of this. For for years, for decades, when I would just just hear or have to in a conversation talk about my great grandfather, I would immediately erupt into tears. It, it's hard even to this day. If I saw his picture, I only have one picture of him, uh, and I don't think I could look at it right now without erupting in tears. But it's tears of love. It's tears of affection. It's 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 honor because. Though I didn't get to know him long, he was the kindest man that I ever had in my life. And I know that many of you feel the same way about some of your loved ones that have been taken from you. So we appropriately venerate them. Let me share some scripture that's going to show you now the other side of this very painful experience for we humans where we have to let go for a season of those that were intertwined in our hearts, in our lives but it's not the end of the story and I think we all know this but we need to be reminded at times so let me share some scripture with you Romans six twenty three says something really significant it's a verse we're kind of used to but the significance of it goes way deeper it says for the wages of sin is death instead of wages think in terms it's the result think organically more than you think like penalty wise it's saying that sin infects us as image bearing beings made in the image of God and it starts an organic breakdown it starts a spiritual breakdown a mental breakdown an emotional breakdown and a physical breakdown it is an inevitability the wages or the result of sin is death but the gift the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord now, I want to correct a notion here. There, there are some people that believe that we, because we are humans and we're made in the image of God, that we're automatically immortal. We're, we're, we're going to be eternally existent. But you can't really prove that from Scripture. How many remember the story that when Adam and Eve broke trust with God, and God says, okay, let's, he's talking to his heavenly court. And he says, let's get them out of the garden because if they eat of the tree of life, before, he says, before they eat of the tree of life and live forever, and he shuts them out of a garden, posts an angelic guard so that they can't get to the tree of life and live forever. How how many of you remember or have ever heard that teaching in scripture before? It's in Genesis 3. Just curious. Anybody familiar with it? So they didn't have immortality. God blocked them from becoming immortal in sin and so immortality, eternal life it's a gift of God I don't have, you don't have we don't have eternal life unless God gives it to us it's just like we don't have physical temporal life unless God gives it to us but it's when we put our trust in Christ now and become his follower that God gives us as a free gift eternal life first corinthians 15 26 says this the last enemy to be destroyed is what death What what is it called death what is it an enemy it's an enemy death is an abnormality death is is something that is the result of sin it's not good there's nothing good about it it's not normal we should hate it it is an enemy even for we that are followers of christ It's something that that has a destiny ultimately to be destroyed. Let me share a few more with you. Matthew 24, 29. Now, now this is going to be a cluster of passages that are going to connect about one theme, that that death does not get the last word. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, he promises a a resurrection. So so follow these passages carefully because this gives us a timetable for this resurrection. But immediately after does that give you a timetable immediately after the tribulation of those days he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet blast and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from the one end of the sky to the other so here at the end of this tribulation period christ returns his angels return and his angels gather his elect his followers from all over the planet at this trumpet blast listen to other passages in the new testament that reemphasize this first corinthians 15 52 in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet well, how many trumpets are there after the last <laughs> that's the last right the last no more trumpets in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet remember jesus talked about a trumpet before the angels come for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised who be raised the dead your loved ones my loved ones they were gone for us from a season they will be raised how imperishable never to die again look at another passage says the same thing first thessalonians 4 17 after that we who are still alive so those that have gone before they are resurrected they get their resurrection bodies and we who are still alive on planet earth after the tribulation of those days when jesus returns after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air so will we be with the lord how long forever very much alive when the lord was talking to moses he says i am the god of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob Jesus says to the Sadducees he's the God of the living Abraham, Isaac and Jacob they were very much alive there is a day coming when our dead will be very much alive again Revelation 20 speaking of this return of Christ at the end of the tribulation and the resurrection that occurs with it this is the can you tell me what that word is? first resurrection blessed and holy are those who share in the what first resurrection so there's coming a time where death does not get the last word there's coming a time where grief will finally really turn to good grief and we will be blessedly reunited But it comes at the return of Christ after the tribulation, at the first resurrection. And everyone that's in the first resurrection belongs to God because they have put trust in God, either as an Old Testament follower or as a New Testament follower, we've put our trust in God as he's fully revealed now in Christ and particularly... Christ sacrificing himself on the cross demonstrates for the whole universe for the first time the sacrificial love of the almighty creator that there's nobody so kind nobody so merciful nobody so gentle nobody so tender hearted nobody so safe as this God of ours who is the almighty he's the almighty but he's the sacrificial lover of our souls let me share one more beautiful one with you Revelation 21 it says then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, let me just share this. Between that last one where it says in Revelation 20, the first resurrection, between that first resurrection in Revelation 20 and this that we're going to read in Revelation 21, a thousand years span in between. The thousand years is called the millennium. Christ will rule and reign on a renovated earth for a thousand years. That's a whole different study. He will, at the end of the thousand years now, now the thousand years is over, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more, you tell me loud, death. And I can't wait for that day. I hate death. I don't know how you feel about it. When I get around people that want to rationalize death, something just rises up in me because I hate it. It's an abnormality. It's the product of sin. It's not the intention of God. It is nothing good about it. Death will be no more, or mourning, nothing to mourn over, or crying for... Oh, excuse me, or crying, or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is the world you were made for. This is the world deep inside every human has always dreamt of, a world where everybody's loved all the time, everybody's respected, everybody's accepted, everybody's healthy every single day. there is no sickness, there is no conflict, there is no crime, there is no hatred, there is no prejudice, there's no worry, there's no stress, there's no fear every day is a good day every person you meet is loving you're safe everywhere you go all the time endless variety you're learning all the time our creator is infinitely wise and creative we'll be learning and growing and doing wonderful exciting things with bodies that are indestructible yeah indestructible with minds where all the lights are turned on how many of you wish you could just turn a little bit more horsepower on right now I I wish I could (laughs) I read certain books, and I'm like, man, doggone gone. I, I, I kid you not. I have read some books sometimes, two and three times, and it's just like, nope, there's a block there. There's some kind of a shield. I just can't quite get to what that thing is saying. I need more horsepower released up here, but it's all going to be released because it'll be safe for God to release all that horsepower we're going to be like christ in character so whatever power god entrusts to us we're only going to use it in a loving sacrificially good way for all eternity to come no more crying no more pain the old order of things has passed away now i'm going to share a couple paradoxes actually about five or six paradoxes with you because i think in light of the reality of death the reality of judgment the reality of grief and pain and mourning uh we have to live as Christ followers sort of a paradoxical existence I I started asking myself some questions and I realized that this is the way I think and this is the way I I live as a result of being a follower of Jesus for for over 40 years now actually I think about 48 years now (laughs) Uh, I know some of you are thinking gee you've been a follower of Jesus since you were born huh Uh, (laughs) I wish I wish you were thinking that way so let me share these with you we need a dual vision of ourselves I think it's an operating principle, a dual vision of ourselves. I am both deteriorating, don't, don't I know I am. <laughs> I am both deteriorating, but I'm also developing. So are you, you're deteriorating. Even you young buckaroos, you're, <laughs> you're deteriorating too. You just don't know it yet. It'll catch you, but you're also developing if you're a follower of Christ or at least you should be or could be. So I'm deteriorating, but I'm developing. I am both dissatisfied. I'll never be satisfied with this world as it is, where sin and sorrow and sickness reign, where people hate one another and are in conflict continuously. I'm both dissatisfied, but I'm satisfied because I know God is allowing evil for a little while so that He can abolish it forever. I am both hopeless when it comes to myself and what I'm capable of, but I'm also hopeful because I know Christ promises to make me into a gr- a much better man and into a greater sort of a being ultimately like himself I am both grief stricken because there is loss in this life we do lose those we love I'm grief stricken but I'm also joy bound because I know I'm in for an eternal reunion with at least some I am both a child of man I'm human through and through but I'm also because of the time when I Put my trust in Christ at age 23. I'm also a child of God, and that endures for eternity. I am both mortal and, what is the word? Immortal. Now, this is the important one. I was asking myself how I think, because I'm, I'm, I'm not young anymore, but inside, I still feel young. I still feel like I'm this this kid from southeast washington inside i look in the mirror and i know i'm not that kid in fact some days i look and I'm like who are you old man <laughs> but that's who i still feel like there, there, there's an eternal sense that i live with and i realize that ever since i've become a follower of christ i don't pay much attention to time i don't pay much attention to death i kind of live in this eternal now and and the more i thought about this i thought was well, this this is is this good or not good and I became convinced it is good because even though I'm mortal, I'm fragile, I know I can die at any second. Wouldn't that be something to go right, you know, that last Sunday, right in the middle of a message, boom, he was gone. That one would make the papers, you know. So I'm, I'm a realist, folks. I know I'm fragile and mortal, but I also know I'm unbreakable and I'm eternal, and it's not because of me. <laughs> it's because of this extraordinary God that created us all and that loves us with an everlasting love and has given everything that he can give to win back our hearts and our trust who wants nothing more for each of us than that we become fully devoted to him so that he can show us all the good that results when we are fully devoted to him. So I'm going to close with, with three thoughts that we learned, three things, teachings we learned from the, the cave of lamentation. Here they are. The cave of lamentation teaches us to, first of all, look vulnerably at what was. What I'm saying is this. Some of us, when we have lost loved ones, the pain is so extraordinary that we try to shut it down, we try to block it, we try to limit it, we try to keep ourselves distracted from it. We, we, we try to avoid the pain, and we can't do that if we're ever going to let God heal us. The fact of the matter is we have to walk toward the pain. We have to open our hearts. We have to feel it as deeply as it deserves to be felt. It deserves. Those that we lose that matter to us, we deserve They deserve and we deserve to feel the pain. It's it's a manifestation of authentic caring and love. Walk toward the pain and that way God can heal us. If we avoid the pain, he can't do his healing work. Number two, look realistically at what is. I have this moment. I have this life, I have this set of opportunities. I have this breath in my lungs that God's given me. I have these spiritual gifts that he's given me. He's entrusted me with some time. He's entrusted me with some talent. He's entrusted me with some treasure. And he's done the same thing with every one of us in this room. I've gotta look at what is, and I need to cherish it, appreciate it, and I need to use this opportunity to the max because I only get this one life. And then I'm gonna be held to account. That doesn't strike fear in me. That ought to strike a sense of meaning. My life, your life has meaning. It's going to be greatly rewarded for the slightest acts of faithfulness. And then finally, look anticipatingly at what will be. I've got got to keep that in my mind. This is not the end of the story. This is just a part of the journey. Jesus' resurrection from the dead and all the convincing proofs that go with it, they give us confidence. They give us assurance. We will live. We will not die. Death does not have the last word. Evil does not have the last word. Sin will not have the last word. Grief will not have the last word. Mourning will not have the last word. Our God and his goodness. And the love that fills his heart will fill your hearts if you're his for all eternity. And there will be life everlasting. And we will love every second of it. And it will never end. And every second, the day after, will be better than the one before it. That's yours. That's your gift. That's not pie in the sky by and by. You know at some level, written deep inside of your spirit, you know, you know, you know that it's true. Human beings have always known that eternal life was our destiny. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ, your trust in Christ and chosen to become his follower, I'm I'm going to make this real blunt. If you've never decided, you know, I don't really care. If anybody else in the world is following Jesus, He has won my confidence. He's won my trust. He's won my heart. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I trust you, and because I trust you, I'm going to follow you. You say, stop it, I'm going to stop it. You say, start it, I'm going to start it. I don't really care if anybody else is following. I'm following you. That's what it means to be a Christian, folks. If you've never made that decision, nobody can make it for you, and you're never going to have a better opportunity to make that decision than now. So I hope maybe this might be the day for someone in here that, you've never really been serious this will be the day some of the rest of us I, I i so hope for you that are still right in the midst of one of these grief cycles that, that at least some fragment of this message perhaps will will be used by god to give you hope to give you courage to give you healing to give you stability and if you're in the midst of this and it's got you knocked crazy confused and dazed please reach out we, we have a whole team of people that we dedicate to comforting people as they go through various struggles and seasons in life and of course myself and and our pastoral staff pete and kim we're we're always available to you guys too so don't go it alone if you're getting stuck in that grief cycle somewhere Let, let me pray with you father you know each of our hearts you know our lives and you know where we're at pertaining to this cave of lamentation May your spirit do marvelous and wonderful and deep things in all of our hearts, all of our lives that we might not just cope with these transitions in life, but that we might literally thrive and venerate those that go before us, giving them the greatest honor and reverence that they deserve. Help us to do these things wisely and right. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.